Good morning. It's good to be with you guys. I'm, I'm sorry you guys get the boring end of what's going on this morning. <laughs> hey, whatever it takes, right? I mean, it, you know, if, uh, if, you know, John does a really great job at making, um, you know, teaching our kids and investing in them sound really fun. And I, I have a feeling that if you do it with John, it is really fun because everything that John does tends to be really fun. Um, so, hey, whatever it takes, if you want to spend some time with John and the kids, that's fantastic. We would love that for you to invest in our kids. Uh, in the meantime, though, we are doing a series in the book of James, uh, which is a letter in the New Testament that was written to several churches around the area of Jerusalem in the first century. Uh, I think we're going to be on page 848 if you want to follow along with us. And if you remember, uh, if you've been here at all through the series, you remember that James is the brother of Jesus, the biological brother of Jesus or half-brother of Jesus. And he's writing as a pastor to these churches to encourage them in their new locations because many of them have been scattered. And he wants them to understand how is it that they live out their new lives according to the wisdom of the gospel. He doesn't want them as a, as a pastor who now doesn't have the opportunity to maybe shepherd them directly, but now they're a distance away. And he wants to remind them of some things so that they can live out of the gospel in a real practical, wisdom, godly kind of way. And it's the sort of instruction that we need here in our day as well. And so that's why we're going through the book. And we're calling it Everyday Gospel Wisdom for that very reason. And uh, last week we talked about how our faith in Jesus inevitably gets borne out by what we do. So faith without works, James says, is dead. But if our faith is in Jesus, then our works or what we do in light of what he's done in us will be alive. And today he shifts from the idea of works or what we do to words and what we say. And he's not um, gentle about it, <laughs> as James often isn't. So we'll see. And he's going to use the, the, the tongue as a metaphor for the way that we use our words. And we're going to be in chapter 3, starting in verse 1. This is what James says. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? 
My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. That's what James has to say about the tongue. And uh, I want to I break down, because we're going to move through this, and we have a lot to say about all this stuff, but we, we have to move through this in, in maybe some categories to help us think through what is it that James is trying to communicate to us about the tongue. And we're going to talk primarily about the power of our words, why they have that power, why we struggle to wield that power, and how to heal our words so that we use them in the way that God intended us to, so that we use them for good. And, and James starts off, and, and he says this about our words. And I, I've, I've been thinking a lot about how to say this to start off, but this, this is what it boils down to. The way that we use our words is a matter of life and death. The way that we use our words is a matter of life and death. And we're not going to spend a lot of time on it, but that's the whole reason why James says, hey, it's probably not a good idea for a whole bunch of people to become teachers. And the reason he's saying that isn't to discourage people from wanting to become teachers within the body of faith, but he's just giving a reality whereby there's probably a lot of people that wanted to become teachers for the wrong reasons. They wanted to kind of puff up their own image, to build a resume, to, 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 to be kind of a, a seen as a, as a leader. And James is saying, be careful with your desires because the more words that come out of your mouth, the more those words get judged according to what they've produced. The more you speak, and this isn't just for teachers, but this, this is for everybody. The more that you speak, the more words that come out of your mouth, the more those words show whether or not the, the fruit of your words is producing in the people around you either life or death. Um. Proverbs 12:18 puts it this way, the words of the reckless pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. See, words have a power to penetrate. They either do that in a destructive way, like an axe that cuts somebody down, or they do it in a healing way, like a scalpel that brings life to a person who's sick. Which means that when you say something, every word that comes out of your mouth has that kind of living power to it. Every word that you speak has the power to either build up or tear down, to make life or to take life. The other way to say it is there is no such thing as a powerless word. You might think, my my words don't have that kind of power. Well, we'll get there. You'll see the reason why that is in a minute. But James says that we have the power to bless or to curse. And that, that power is incredible. We, we don't realize the power that we have. So what does it mean to, to put a curse on someone? What does that mean? He says that we, we have the ability to curse people. Just from your own understanding, what does it mean to curse people? Some sort of, to place some sort of obstacle? A spiritual obstacle in their life. Huh. Yeah. I can see that. What else? It's literally... Yeah. It's to draw life out of them with our words. 
right? Rather than to put life in. Yeah. Yeah, you actually do harm to their future. And that that's the that's the part of the reality that James wants us to understand when it comes to our words that when we bless people, we're actually not just wishing them well, we are actually inflicting them with goodness. And in the same way, if we are cursing people, if we're tearing them down, if we're if we're being critical and pushing them down and telling them what's wrong and, and kind of emphasizing all the things that are bad and, and we're using our words negatively in the, the life of a person, we're not just wishing someone evil, we're causing evil. We're actually inflicting harm, which is doing not just harm to their present, but obviously to their future. See, when you say words that are intended to hurt people, the people that you're speaking to, whether you do it overtly or kind of in a passive-aggressive sort of way, you aren't just wishing that they would be hurt. You're actually causing them to become hurt. In the same way, when you bless someone, you're not just wishing them good. You're causing good. So help me out here. How does the old nursery rhyme go? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but... Yeah. (laughs) Names, words will never hurt me. That is one of the biggest lies you and I have been told in our entire lives. Because if we're being honest with us, all of us have experienced receiving words, probably of blessing and of curses, and those words have inflicted both good and bad, and we have felt the power of those words. And, and some of the wounds of the, the cursing words that have been spoken to us and over us have lasted far longer than any physical wound could. See, some of us have received words of cursing as children. Those words have persisted our entire lives. People have said things about our bodies or our character or about our identity, and those words are still controlling you today. Things that your parents have said, things that your friends have said. See, they they aren't just words. They're swords. They're swords whose words pierce you and are living and active inside of you today. Now, why is that? It's because words have the power to set your life on fire, either for good or for ill. They come in and they penetrate us. They're not just wishing harm when they're bad, they're doing harm. So here, this is my alternative kind of rendering of that same nursery rhyme, okay? See if this sticks with you. Sticks and stones can only break my bones, but words can cut and poison me forever. That sound more right? I think that's a more honest telling of the nursery rhyme. Now, I'm not suggesting you go home and tell your kids that and tell them to repeat that to their kids in school tomorrow, but I think it's a more honest understanding of the way that words work. See, they can set the whole course of a person's life in a direction. And if those words are poisonous, the toxin comes in and it remains for years. And that poison can... And this is the whole reason... Poisoned people end up poisoning others. That poison doesn't just stay with you. It goes through you out into the people around you and it ends up having an exponential effect. 
And this can happen for generations, and some of you have experienced this. And yet, this is the thing that just, when I was thinking about this this week, it just it kept coming back to me, like, how in the world are we so deceived? Because I think we are. All of us have experienced the power of other people's words over us, and yet, in the very same moment, all of us go, well, but my words don't have that kind of effect on others. Nobody listens to the way that I speak to them. When I'm, I mean, other people are critical of me, and yeah, that, that brings me down for a day or a week or even a lifetime, but when I'm critical of other people, it doesn't have that same kind of effect on them. Oh, really? Do you realize the power that you have? It's the same kind of power that's come into you. Because the, the power doesn't lie in the person who's speaking. The power lies in the words themselves. There are powers in words, regardless of who's wielding it. If my three-year-old comes up on stage and I give him the sharpest sword in New Jersey and he swings that thing, someone's getting cut. It doesn't matter if it's a three-year-old that's wielding it. It's the power of the sword that's doing it. Right? In the same way, our words have incredible power. And here's the reason why. You are made in the image of God. See, we often think, yeah, what my dad said to me, what my mom said to me, those things hurt, those things cut. I've been dealing with them for a lifetime. But my words don't really have that effect on other people. I mean, who am I really? You're, a, you're an image bearer of God. That's who you are. And because you're an image bearer of God, your words have power. That's the whole reason why they, they have the power that they do. And this is what James is saying in verse 9. He says, the tongue, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who've been made in God's likeness. All of us have been made in God's likeness. And there's something unique about that. I don't know if you remember this from the Genesis account, but God, he begins creating the world in Genesis 1. And how does he do it? How does he make the sky and the land and the, and the, the birds and the animals and the light and the darkness and the sun and the moon? How does he literally make all those things happen? His words. His words have creative ability to, to bring things to life. God doesn't do anything apart from his spoken word. Why do we have the sun in, in our sky? Why, do we, the, why does the earth revolve around it? Because God spoke it into being. That's how powerful his words are. They create. Now, when it gets to the point where God creates us, what does it say? In Genesis 1, verse 26 and 27, it says, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. And so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Four times this idea, just in these two verses alone, this concept of being made in God's image, God wants it to be unmistakable that we bear his likeness in every way. We are like God in so many different ways, though we are fallen and fall way short of his glory. There is so much of his creative nature that he has implanted into our DNA. And do you want to know what one of those things, one of the main things is that distinguishes us from every other created thing? Our words. Our language. 
And it's twofold because we are both created by God's word, which means that all of us have this deep down craving to, to receive words of approval over us, don't we? I mean, those of you who are parents, how often is this the case where, you know, uh, a little boy will, will, you know, do something or build something and, Dad, look what I did! What is he doing? He's showing his creative nature. He is bearing image of the one who created him. When he creates something and he goes, Dad, praise it with me. I mean, isn't it awesome? I mean, look at the way that I did the Legos and this thing spins and that does this. Isn't it creative? Isn't it grand? See, what is he doing? His heart is going, praise me for what I did. Affirm the fact that I am made in your image and I'm made in his image. When a little girl twirls in a dress and goes, Daddy, look at me. Aren't I beautiful? What is she doing? The same thing. She's saying, do you see me, Daddy? Do you see me, Mommy? Aren't I gorgeous? Aren't I made in his image? Don't I bear his resemblance? Because all beauty comes from him. We, we need the word, as it were, spoken over us again and again and again and again. And when we don't get it, we start to question our identity. But in the same way, because we're creatures of his word, our words then have the same kind of power to go out and do the same kind of work. Another way to say that is that your words literally have the power of creation in them just the way that his words do. You see how much power you have? doesn't matter who you think is listening to you. Even if you're the only person who's listening, your words have power over your identity. And as you speak them out, you are either speaking life into the world or death into the world. And it's always one or the other. It's never neutral. And so, be careful what you say. And be careful how you say it because you don't realize the power that you have. I remember... Um, Mandy works three days a week part-time, and so on those mornings that she works, I'm uh, in charge of getting the boys ready and off to school uh, before I go in. And and, um, most of the time, I think I've got things pretty well under control until about 15 minutes before we have to leave the house, in which case everything goes out the window, and now suddenly it's like, why are you wearing one shoe? And didn't I tell you to brush your teeth like four times? And why do you, that shirt, really? You're going to go to school in that shirt? Like, it, it's like over and over and over again. And so it's constantly like shooing the kids out the door, getting them into the van, trying to get them there. And one of the things I realized that I started to say in my, in my own anxiety of wanting to get not just them to school, but I was more concerned about getting me to work on time, was that, that I started to say, why do you guys make me late all the time? And I didn't realize the effect that that was having. Until one day, Caleb, on the way to school, full of sorrow, full of remorse, as we're on the way, it just shoots a dagger into my heart and goes, Daddy, I'm sorry that we're always making you late. Ouch. Now, do I want to get to work on time? (laughs) You know, do I have responsibilities to get to? Sure, yeah, of course. But at what cost? 
At what cost? See, it's important to get to, to things on time, but the damage that I can do in, in trying to get my kids to obey my agenda, to get me to where I need to go, what does that do over the course of life if my words reinforce that to them? It makes them think that they are, are just a pit stop on the way to what I've got to do. They're a distraction. They're an inconvenience to me to more important things rather than them being the two most important people in my world at that moment. Now, yeah, I want to get to work on time, and yeah, it's frustrating, and yeah, they're kids. But I can speak either life into that situation or I can speak death because my words have creative power in their life. And this is true in every relationship because guess what? All of you are image bearers and all of you live among image bearers. And so the words that you speak have that same power to bind up or to wound. And so how are you using your words lately? How are you using your words lately? What effect are they having on the people around you? They're powerful. Not just in a negative way, but they can be powerful in a positive way too. I remember the first time that I discovered this uh, was with, with our community when we were back in, um, in Runnymede and we threw a birthday party for one of my neighbors who had never had um, anyone outside of his biological family throw him a birthday party. And we decided in that birthday party that what, one of the things that we were going to do is that we were going we to speak blessing out over our neighbor and our friend Jim. And so around the table when he had the cake in front of him, he blew out the candles and I said, wait, before we eat, I just want to, I want all of us just to stop and take a second to, to speak words of affirmation over our friend. Let's tell him all the ways that we've been blessed by him this year as we've lived life together. Let's tell him all the ways that we've seen Jesus at work in his heart, even though he may not even know he's there. And so one by one we went around and we're just like, I appreciate the way that you love our kids because you're so gentle with them. And I know that's not natural for you, but you try all the time to do it. And one by one, we, we, we did this, and we got around to him. And I, I'm watching everybody, you know, do that. And then we, all, everybody's attention kind of turns to him. And what is he doing? He's weeping. He's just crying tears of joy because no one has ever encouraged him that way. No one has ever seen, said, I see you for who you are, and it's good. You bear God's image. You're made in his likeness. And here's all the ways that you need to know it. That, that had a transforming effect on his heart and his life in a way that I've never seen before. But guess what it also did? Be, because the other person that happened to be at that birthday party was, was his sister who had lived across the country in Hawaii and had only seen her brother maybe once a year for the last 35 years. And she just happened to be there at that birthday party. Later that night when everybody went home, she came back and she just said, I don't understand like why you guys did what you did. But I've never seen my brother happier than he is right now. And you know the other thing she said? I never saw the things that you saw when you said what you saw in him. See, what did the creative word speak over him that affected her? She started to see her brother in a different light than she had ever seen him before. She had always seen him as, as kind of just a negative guy who, who had just been a drain on her and she, she always had to like get up the energy because he, he kind of annoyed her. This is, there was a reason why she lived on the other side of the country. 
Just being honest. <clears throat> yeah. But that night, she started to realize, like, I've been treating him as though he's a, he's a burden. I want to start treating him as though he's a brother. And for a year, she said, come and live with me. I want you nearby. She would have never made that decision if it weren't for hearing the words of life being spoken over her brother so that she could see him in a different light. See, your, your words don't just have power over the person you're speaking them to. They have power over the people that are listening to you speak them to those people. That's how much power they have. And so I just, I want to implore you, just speak well of people. Encourage them. Pour out blessing over them. And be specific in the ways that you do it. Call them out for things that you see. Not just in a critical way. I mean, here's the thing. Like, oftentimes when we're critical, we're critical about specific things, right? You annoy me because of this. Like, the way that you do this makes me feel this way. I'm annoyed at that. I'm critical about that. But then when it comes to speaking words of blessing, we're like, I like you. You're nice. (laughs) You're swell. You're a good person. How is that blessing? Be just as specific when you're speaking blessing as when you're speaking curses. And watch the kind of creative work that that has over the people that you speak it to. Words have power. They have power over the the people that we're speaking them to. But here's the other reality that James talks about. Our words have power over the speaker as well as the hearer. They have power over us as we speak the words as much as they do over the people that listen to those words. Because, And it starts by this. What kind of power does it have over us? Well, first of all, it has the power to reveal our hearts. It has the power to reveal who we really are. Look at verse 11 and 12. Can both fresh water and salt water come from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or grapevines bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. How do you know that a salt spring is salty? It's not a trick question. It tastes salty. You would never get fresh water from a salt spring and go, hmm, this is refreshing. How, does it, how do you know that it's a fig tree? It bears frigs. How do you know who you really are? Ah, by your words. You know who you are by your words. Your, your words reveal who you are. This is the whole reason, counselors know this. It's the whole reason why when you go to see someone for counseling, what do you do? You do 95% of the talking and they do 5% at the end. And you're like, wow, that was so helpful. Why? They barely said anything. It's because now you know who you are. See, because once you say something, you have a glimpse into what your heart really believes about yourself. This is the way that Jesus puts it in Luke 6.45. The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. See, our words are an overflow of what's already in our heart. So how do you know who you are? By what you speak. And in fact, if you try to say, well, I only said that, I don't really believe it. That's not what Jesus is saying. Your words always are a tell. I was remembering this again. Caleb's, uh, our oldest son, is really a perceptive little guy. 
and I'm really thankful for him in a lot of ways because I, I realized that one, so one day, I don't even remember the context, but I just said, man, I'm just, I'm exhausted. I was complaining. I'm exhausted. I've had an exhausting day. And Caleb goes to me, Daddy, that's your word. And I'm like, what do you mean? <laughs> exhausting. He goes, you're always saying that. I'm exhausted. I'm exhausted. I'm so exhausted. <laughs> like, you little condescending little. <laughs> Watch my words. Here's the thing, though. I, I started to realize that this is true. My words were revealing the context, contents of my heart. And I needed that reflected back to me, actually. Because I started to realize, is this really true? Am I really exhausted? Because what I'm doing is I'm cursing the day that God gave me by saying I'm exhausted. If all I ever, at the end of the day, is just complain and go, oh, man, I'm so exhausted, I'm so tired, what a day. Aren't I, am I not cursing the day that God gave to me as a gift? Which means I'm cursing him as a result because he's the giver of it. See, I wouldn't have known that apart from my six-year-old actually telling that back to me. Which means that all of us, you know, I can loan out my six-year-old to you if you want, but (laughs) um, all of us need people in our life that can reflect back to us what our words are telling us because we don't see them as being truthful. It's part of the whole reason why we're, we're so committed to being in communities of people called Cultivate Communities, where you can actually share life and what's going on. You can be honest about your day so that you can have someone speak into your life and go, hey, I hear you saying this a lot. Do you actually believe this is true? See, apart from having an intimate community where you could be authentic with other people, you won't get that kind of reflection. Your words reveal who you are, but they reveal it to other people before they reveal it to you. But here's the other thing that I was realizing at the same time. When I was using words like tired and exhausted all the time to describe my day, those words were actually having a creative effect on my heart. Because the more that I used those words to describe my world, the more my world started to feel tiresome and exhausting. See, because words don't just have the power to reveal our hearts, they have the power to direct our hearts. And that's what James says in verses 3 to 5. He says, when we put bits into the mouths of horses, we make them obey us. We can turn the whole animal or take a ship as an example. They're so large and they're driven by strong winds, and yet they're steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body. What's he saying? He's saying our words actually give directive power to our life. They steer our lives in ways that we don't realize. Just like, I mean, let's take the example of a ship, right? When you have a thought, when a thought comes to mind that's an interpretive thought of the way uh, that you think about yourself, the way that you think about another human being, that thought comes to mind, and that thought is like the wheel of a ship. So you're at the wheel, the thought comes, hey, this thought is telling me to turn the ship. And the tongue is like the rudder of the ship. And so the more that that thought becomes expressed in words said by your tongue, the more your tongue 
which is the rudder, has the ability to steer your life towards that reality. Do you see what I'm saying here? All right, thank you. (laughs) When you think something and you speak it, what, what you speak ends up directing you towards reinforcing your belief over the truthfulness of that thought. So the more that I spoke about how exhausted I was, the more my tongue told my brain, yes, you are justified in feeling this way. And it reinforced it. So the more I said it, the more I believed it, until finally something broke in to change the direction. Now, I'm not suggesting that we all go around telling ourselves, like, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. Like, that's not the point, is just to go around and speak happy words and, and, you know, don't worry, be happy, just say, oh, everything's fine, everything's great, because that doesn't have the power to change the direction. What it does mean, though, is that we need to learn what Paul was really good at doing and what he taught the church in Corinth to do, which is to take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ, which means that every time that you have a thought in your mind and it does not sound like it's come from the mouth of Jesus himself, if it's not a better word spoken over you, if it doesn't sound like Him, if it doesn't give you a sense of moving your heart closer to Him, if it's not saturated with the truth of the Gospel, then we take that thought captive at the level of the wheel before it gets to the rudder of our tongue. And we say to ourselves, I'm not going to let this thought hold me hostage to a destination that will only bring about my destruction. I'm not going to do it. I'm taking that captive before it gets to the rudder. I'm not going to speak it out because if I speak it out, I'm going to listen to myself and that's going to have directive power over me. And I want Jesus to be my Lord, not my own thoughts. That's what it means. And so I just, just a reflection for you this week. What are some of the words that you're using about yourself, about other people that are not captivated by Christ, that are steering the course of your life. What are some of those words for you? Just be thinking about that. How are they giving direction to your heart, to your life, in ways that aren't steering you towards Him, but steering you towards other things? See, we all still struggle with that. And there's a reason that we do. All of us still struggle to use words in a way that are both life-giving to us and life-giving to others. And James, he gives us a clue as to why. Why is it that we all struggle with this? Why do we have such a hard time with our words? Well, I think the clue is in the fact that James says that there are two things that we shouldn't do, which is that we shouldn't boast about ourselves and we shouldn't curse Others. Now, how, how do these things kind of point out maybe the reason why we tend to struggle? I think the answer is because why do we tend to boast? Why do we tend to curse others? See, the reason that we boast, the, the reason that we tend to inflate ourselves, to defend ourselves, to, to justify ourselves... The reason that we look to our own achievements and what we've done to define who we are is actually the same reason that we curse other people. 
The reason that we tear others down to make ourselves feel better. The reason that we gossip about others so that we feel like we're a good person. See, the reason that we do these things is because we really don't know yet who we are. We don't know who we are. Now, you might say, what do I mean by that? Well, the gospel says who we are. And this is what the gospel says about all of our identities, yours and mine, regardless of what we've done. That God, on our behalf, sent his perfect son into the world to live the life that we could not live. That instead of speaking words that condemn us, he spoke his son into existence. And he came and he died the penalty that we should have paid for the, the, the way that we use our words. The fact that we often do use our words to condemn other people and to puff ourselves up and to say, I'm a good person and they're not so good a person. Jesus died to pay the penalty for all of that so that there is no condemnation when we put our faith in him. We talked about that last week. So that when God looks at you, he says, I have accepted Jesus' death as payment for your sin and I've risen him from the dead, which means that that payment is secured forever. It is finished once and for all. And now, because of that, you who were my enemy have now become my son, my daughter, and whom I'm well pleased. I'm well pleased. I'm speaking Words of encouragement and blessing over your life. I love you. I I care for you. I want you to, to know me and to be close to me. But here's the truth. You and I and most Christians that I know, we still live as though God has not done this for us. We still live as though this isn't true. Now, how how can I say that? Well, Because we say that we believe that we're not condemned, and yet all of us, we spend a good portion of our day trying to defend ourselves, trying to build up our record, trying to make ourselves feel like we're good people. Or we spend our day not defending ourselves, but prosecuting others, cursing them and tearing them down. Do you see it? See, the reason that you and I struggle with boasting and cursing is because you and I are still in the courtroom. We're still there trying to defend our record when the judge has already said the case is closed. We're still there trying to prosecute other people so that we don't look like the bad guy when God has already said, Jesus, the perfect one, has been prosecuted on your behalf. You can go free. Now you say, uh, that might be true of other people, Jay, but I know who I am in Christ. I'm secure in my gospel identity. That's others, that's not me. Okay, well, if that's true, if you think that that is true, then here's a test for you this week, okay? Do these six things perfectly all week and tell me if you struggle with any of them. All right? This is just a bit of a test if we think that we're not in the courtroom anymore. Number one, do not complain or grumble about anything. Why are you laughing? <laughs> Come on, if, you, if you're not in the courtroom, these are doable things, aren't they? Do not com- complain or grumble about anything. Number two, do not boast about anything. Number three, do not gossip about anyone. Number four, do not say anything negative about someone, including yourself. 
Number five, do not defend or make excuses for yourself no matter what. Like I'm exhausted. There's an example. Number six, always say things that build others up. Now, if you come back here next week and you say, Jay, I did them perfectly and it was easy. I mean, it was just, I breezed right through it. Yeah, right. (laughs) Let's not go there, right? (laughs) I will now. Yeah, I've got the ammunition. I mean, just let's. I mean, let's be honest. If you don't see how hard those things are, then you won't know what's actually going on in your own heart. Because if you try to do those six things this week, it will be hard, and you'll catch yourself and go, "Oh man, I did it again. I'm complaining." I'm boasting, I'm tearing others down, I'm doing all these things. I shouldn't be doing them, but I'm doing them. Why? Because all of those things boil down. The fact that we're trying to defend ourselves or we're trying to bring other people down to make us seem better because we're still in the courtroom. And the gospel says, get out of the courtroom. The case is over. The verdict is in. Your guilt is paid for. You are free you're free indeed. See, here's the thing. You, you can't love other people with your words until you're out of the courtroom. Until your own identity is solved forever. Until you realize that there's no more need for defense and there's no more need for prosecution because Jesus was condemned and prosecuted for you. See, and if you really do understand that, if you are able to rest in that reality then you'll use your words differently. When people criticize you, you won't criticize them back. You'll pray for them and ask for their forgiveness. When people attack you, you won't attack in return. When people gossip about you, you won't gossip about them. When people tear you down, you will actually build them up instead. You'll be willing to to listen instead of talk over people. You'll be willing to speak the truth in love. You'll speak well of people because you know that they're image bearers of the God who wiped away your guilt. Which then kind of gets to the last question, which is how do we heal? How do we actually heal our words? Because words are powerful and they have the potential to create life. So we need to know how to live in that healing, don't we? And here's the bad news. Verse 8 says that nobody can tame the tongue. So let's take that off the table already. I can't give you exercises to do this week that will lead you to heal your own tongue. James says it's impossible. Now you may say, okay, well, if I can't do anything, then what the heck? (laughs) What do I do, you know? If I can't do anything, what has to happen? And I think James starts to tell us in verse 10, he says, Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing, my brothers and sisters. This should not be. See, um, it's interesting what what James contrasts. He doesn't say, out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing for people. He says, out, out of the same mouth comes praise for God and cursing of people. Which means that the opposite of cursing people is praising God. See, if... But all of us are able 
and we probably know people, if not ourselves, who, who can praise God and yet curse other people. Um, I was a waiter for several years, and the worst day of the week, if you ask any waiter uh, to wait on tables, is on Sunday, because on Sunday all the churchgoers come in for lunch afterwards, and they leave terrible tips and they talk about you. It's ironic, isn't it? So we can kind of go from maybe praising God on the one hand to to cursing people. And and James says, wake up. This shouldn't be. You're a hypocrite if you do that because you can't praise God on the one hand and then go and tear down his self-portrait in the image of another. It's not just a person that you're tearing down. It's the image bearer of God. It's his likeness. Somebody can't come to me and go, Jay, I think you're a great person, but your kids suck. Like, don't talk about my kids that way. Why, am I, why would I be so defensive over their identity? Because they're an extension of who I am. You can't talk about me without talking about them. And when you trash them, you're trashing me. And in the same way, when you trash one of God's kids, you're trashing him. So we should not do that. We have to realize that we're doing. But here's, here's the truth. Even though we can praise God in one moment and then curse people in another, we can never do both of those things at the same time. You can't praise God in the moment that you're cursing somebody because what you're doing by its very nature is cursing God himself. And so the, the antidote to cursing people isn't just to bless people. The antidote to cursing people is to praise God in them. It's to see God's creative work in the person at the time when you're with them because you, you can't be in two places at one time. You can only be in one place at one time, which means you can't worship your Lord and Father. And I'm not just talking about singing here. You can't... Re- you can't rest and rejoice in his presence. You can't, you can't marvel at what he's done for you in absolving your guilt and at the same time not have that change your words. You can't do it. You can't rest in one reality and, and fight it with another. Once that new reality comes in and shapes you, it changes your words and you end up speaking better words over other people. So that means that the answer is not to go from cursing people to blessing. It's not just go, hey, stop that, start that. Because that won't work. See, if James did give us that advice, then we would actually be able to go out and do it ourselves. And James already said, we can't do it. So it's got to be another way. Instead, we need to be healed. We need to be healed of our words from the inside out. Now, what, what in the world has the power to do that? What has the power to heal you from the inside out? Only God. It's interesting, isn't it, that uh, Jesus is called the Word of God? The Word made flesh. And what John is getting at when he says that is that God's word literally came into the world to show us what it looked like for our words to have the kind of creative power in a way that builds people up and doesn't tear them down. Jesus said, I came to save people, not to condemn them. And he goes through life. He dies. He rises again. And then what happens in the story? Does he just leave us alone? 
without any power? No. Keep reading the story, and what does Jesus do? He pours out his spirit. You know what it says the spirit does, like, looks like, literally looks like when the spirit comes down in the room where the believers are all gathered and they're praying and they're full of fear and they're full of words of, of, of condemnation and, 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 and hopelessness and maybe God left us and we don't know what's going on and those words are reverberating. We, God, where are you? Have you abandoned us? We don't know what's going on. Those words are going out and they're coming into their heart. They're going out and they're coming into their heart and it's filling them with more and more fear and more and more fear and more and more fear until suddenly what happens? The word of fire comes down in the form of what? Tongues. And rests on the heads of all the people. It's no accident that James says, Apart from that spirit, our tongues are tongues of fire from hell. But when heaven comes down, our tongues go from hell fire to heaven fire. And those very same people who are full of fear and full of anxiety, they leave that room. Nothing has changed in their circumstances apart from the presence of God, right? They're still hunted. They're still wanted men. Many of them are going to be carried off into prison and some into execution. Nothing about their situation has changed. And if God hadn't come in and changed their tongues, they would go out there the same kind of people that they came into the room. And yet with the presence of God through the Holy Spirit, tongues of fire come out. And what comes out of them? Praise for Jesus. See, out of the mouth comes what's full of the heart. And when you're full of Jesus, what comes out of your mouth? Jesus, his presence, what he's done for you, how he saved you, how he's rescued you. And you start speaking words of blessing over other people because not because you're trying to to manufacture those words. It's simply the tongue that you've been given by heaven. Do you want to be healed? Do you want to use your words in a better way? A better way than what's been done to you? It's the Spirit that does it. It's the Spirit that reminds you. It's the Spirit that fills you. It's the Spirit that moves you. And it's the Spirit that speaks. That's why we need to be healed. That's why James says you can't do it on your own. So I just I want to take a moment before we move into our response time and just give you a second with the Spirit. So let's do that now. Uh, Father, we, we, we want to confess to you not just the ways that we've been hurt by the tongues of others, but ways that we've used our tongues to tear people down, to build up our own resume. Our words condemn us. And so we, can, we just confess those now to you. So I want to encourage you to confess any way that you haven't used your words in a, in a way that builds people up this week. Just do that with the Spirit's help right now. If he brings anything to mind, just give it over to him. Jesus, thank you that you died to forgive us of that very thing. 
the way that we used our tongue this week doesn't stand to condemn us anymore because you were stood you stood and you you were condemned on our behalf the guilt of that and what we've done is gone forever and instead of giving a word of condemnation you give a word of blessing you say father forgive them they don't know what they've done help us to receive that right now holy spirit what word do you want us to know right in this moment I want to encourage you. I wasn't planning to do this, but if you heard any word from him, just tell him what was it? Patience? Love? You're forgiven. Yeah. What's that? Encouragement. Yeah. Foundation. That doesn't count. I'm sorry. (laughs) Yeah. Kind of getting cleaned out from the inside so that he can put his light in you and then that light shines. Good. He speaks. We have a God who speaks. Isn't that good news? He isn't, he's not a silent God. Jesus said, if, if, if people don't praise me, the stones are going to cry out on their behalf. And, and so what that means is, and what do they speak? They're, they're speaking the words that God put in them to give back to him. The Spirit wants to speak to you. He has words for you. Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would help us believe that. Help us to believe that we're out of the courtroom. There's no condemnation left. Fill us with your light. Fill us with your presence. We need tongues of fire from heaven that burn in our hearts, that make us new. God, let the evidence of that be that we leave this place as a people of great blessing. And I pray that hundreds of people this week would be blessed, would be encouraged, would be built up, would be strengthened because of our words as you do it in us. Make us hopeful, God, that you're going to do that work in us today and tomorrow and the next day. We just recognize that it all comes from you and so we give you the honor and the glory and the credit for it in Jesus' name. Amen.